welcome back to Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. My name's Wayne. And I'm Robert. And today we have a very, very uh, special episode because we're going to be talking about Sorcerer Kings. No, I'm kidding. We're not. But we do have a very, very special guest today. And I think some of you may actually recognize his name, and not just from Dark Sun, obviously. But I'm going to let Robert actually introduce him because actually, Robert, you've met our guest in person. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I had the good luck to meet and actually game with Bill Slaviksek, a Dark Sun luminary, along with some other stuff, which we'll get into. But uh, welcome, Bill. Hi, thanks for having me. Bill, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history in the RPG universe? and And then after that, give us a little more detail on what you did for the Dark Sun line. Uh, Sure. I started in the game industry with West End Games back in the late 80s. I worked on uh, multiple products there, but I'm probably best known for my work on Star Wars, the D6 system. And not just your work on Star Wars, right? Like you were one of the creators. Well, the original designer was Greg Kostikian, but uh, I'm the designer of the Star Wars source book, which is basically the, uh, the foundation of what became the expanded universe and it's still used today by Lucasfilm and, and Disney when they're making uh, Star Wars stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Also with West End, uh, I worked with Greg Gordon on the design of Torg, the role-playing game, which just had a rebirth through uh, uh, Ulysses. Then I went on to work for TSR, where I did Dark Sun, Alternity, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, of all colors and shapes and sizes. <laughs> <laughs> I became the R&D director for Dungeons & Dragons, and I did that for 14 years. And most recently, I've been working for uh, Zenimax Online as a senior writer on the Elder Scrolls Online game. Yeah, Ooh, that's nice. awesome. Stolen away by the video game, the lucrative video game industry. <laughs> <laughs> And so tell us about what you did specifically for the Dark Sun setting. So I got involved with Dark Sun while I was freelancing. After leaving West End, but before I got my staff job with TSR, I was freelancing. And uh, one of the things they needed help with was a new campaign setting they were doing called Dark Sun. So they sent me the um, galleys of the product. It hadn't yet come out. And I think the first project I worked on was uh, Slave Tribes, which was the, the first actual supplement mm-hmm. for the line. And I just immediately fell in love with Dark Sun, uh, Troy Denning and, and Tim Brown's uh, original creation. The art by Brahm was just wonderful and, and really fit the setting really well. I've always been drawn to the D&D settings that are a little different. Planescape, Ravenloft, Dark Sun, Eberron. Always caught my fancy a little more than things like Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. So I uh, had a lot of fun working on that initial product. Uh, while I was freelancing, I also did an adventure for them called Arcane Shadows. Uh, and then I got the staff job. Uh, when Tim Brown got promoted, he needed uh, a designer to come in. And uh, after working with me uh, as a freelancer, uh, he offered me a staff job. And I came on staff. And at that point, basically, myself and Rich Baker were the two in-house designers who kind of shepherded the line after that. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a bunch of stuff after that. Elves of Athis, worked on City by the Silt Sea, and the second edition box set that we also did uh, after the novels were finished. Mm-hmm. The revised revised box set, yeah. Yeah, the revised box set, yeah. So a um, uh, bunch of stuff for Dark Sun, a bunch of stuff at the same time we were doing Planescape and Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. Good times. <laughs> cool. So were you like the line developer at that point, or were you? what was your role at, later on in the development? 
It was set up a little differently. We had a, a creative director mm-hmm. who oversaw the team, and our team was the New World. So we had we had Dark Sun, we had Planescape, and we had Ravenloft at the time. Mm-hmm. Each of us designers championed a line, and I mostly championed the Dark Sun line. So not as I wouldn't say I was the line developer, but I certainly was the the in-house champion. So most of the stuff that that came in from the freelancers was handled either by me or, uh, as I said, Rich Baker, who was also a big Dark Sun designer and an affectionado at the time. Definitely, definitely. So you you really were like a Sorcerer King then, (laughs) 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 Wayne mentioned earlier. That that was that was later in my career. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's pretty awesome that you you know had your hands in so many Dark Sun accessories and supplements. But let's take a, a step back. You know, you said you did Planescape and uh, Ravenloft. I saw you did some Dragonlance work, Council of Worms. You worked on Birthright, Eberron, so many great D and D worlds. And I saw that you wrote the expansion to Undermountain for Three E. What did you think of Wizards' recent announcement of Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage for Five E? Have you even heard about that? <laughs> oh yeah, I try to I try to keep up. I've been very impressed with what they've done with the 5e uh, material. I think they took the game back to its roots and really made it accessible to the today's audience, which was really great. Mm-hmm. And I've been impressed with the the products they've been putting out. And this new double shot into Waterdeep uh, looks kind of exciting. I'm hoping that brings up more of the other settings. I'd like to see them uh, go back to some of the other worlds. Like I said, I'm a little more enamored of the the slightly less uh, traditional settings. Sure, sure. Yeah. So everybody's aware we are recording this in June, and um, we're not too sure exactly when we'll launch it. But there has been a article out there talking about new settings or old settings or settings other than Forgotten Realms that are going to be launched. And I'm not sure if Bill can tell us anything about that, if he knows anything. And uh, we know <laughs> that the, N- the NDA is very ironclad, but, uh, you know, yeah, no, uh, I'm out of the loop. Uh, I left uh, Wizards uh, in 2011. And other than uh, just seeing what they're up to as a fan, I do not have any inside information. <laughs> so do, do you play uh, in any D&D games right now? We had been playing a D&D game. Uh, it ended a couple of months ago. One of the guys at Zenimax was running it, uh, also playing in the game as a, another longtime uh, paper designer who works with me there called Ed Stark. Oh, okay. uh, He did a lot of Birthright material. You mentioned that earlier. He ran the, the new Ravenloft adventure. Oh, cool. So we were doing that for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll get back to it, but we've been taking a break to do some board gaming. <laughs> gotcha. Nice. So I saw you wrote some Eldritch Layers for Cobalt Press. Is that right? I did an adventure for Cobalt Press. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so um, how, was, uh, how was writing 5th edition stuff you know, compared to 2nd and 3rd edition stuff and 4th? Each one has its own uh, idiosyncrasies and challenges. I think fifth is closer in tone and approach to first and second edition, although it does have some hidden elements of fourth edition still hiding in there, which I like. Definitely, yeah. I think the hardest edition to write for, to me, was third edition, Mm -hmm. mostly because of all the math involved. It was a very high-intensity math problem for a lot of uh, a lot of the statistics and things like that yeah making those uh, npcs was always good. yes yes <laughs> and uh when i had my team at the time start working on fourth edition the first thing i said was we have to make it easier even for the in-house designers to deal with mm-hmm. let alone the poor game master so mm-hmm. uh, 
Yeah, that's one one thing I definitely definitely miss about fourth edition is the the ease of monster creation and encounter creation for sure. But otherwise, um, you know, when you're designing for any role playing game, uh, at least from my point of view, you need to know what the rules are. You need to know the format of the products that you're making so that it it, it all fits together. But after that, you're just telling a story and, and putting things together, and that's pretty universal from product line to product line. Mm-hmm. So let's jump back into Dark Sun. You said you started as a freelancer doing uh, various stuff around TSR. How did you specifically get uh, get your first Dark Sun gig, uh, Slave Tribes, right? Uh, yes, yeah, Slave Tribes. Like I said, uh, I was freelancing. I did some editing for them. I had written a couple of adventures. I think I had already written uh, Night of the Walking Dead for Ravenloft at the time. And maybe the complete book of humanoids at that point. I don't remember exactly. But I had been working with them for a couple of years. And I knew it's a small industry. We knew each other from my time at West End. So when they needed some help with Dark Sun, they, they gave me a call and I was available and interested. So I took it on. And uh, like I said, they sent me the first uh, galleys of the box set before it was re- released. Uh-huh. So I could write in the world and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it just, like I said, it blew me away. Not just the the, the writing and the, the setting, but the art that Brahm did really spoke to the setting. And uh, it was a really nice marriage of visuals and textual storytelling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you mentioned a couple of things there. What other things, like what, what are the things that you enjoy most about the setting itself? Well, uh, we used to say about Dark Sun was it was the place where you stepped on the plant and the plant tried to kill you. <laughs> I just love the post-apocalyptic yet fantastical feel of the, of the world. A little bit of John Carter of Mars, a little bit of Road Warrior. I love the background and the history. It's always fun when you have halflings that want to eat you. Um, <laughs> it was just, a, a, it was really different. And I really appreciated uh, that at mm-hmm. the time, at the time of the design. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you, have you ran campaigns like full kind of kind of full campaigns or did you just kind of play test your stuff or, or what? Like, uh, you know, how much have you played Dark Sun? Uh, played a bit. Uh, back in the day, uh, actually, Rich Baker was running a game mm-hmm. for the for the team and I played in that and that went on uh, for about a year during the early development of the of the product line while I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also would do one-offs to play test material, my own material as well. Mm-hmm. We would test demos for the conventions. Mm-hmm. But other than running it that way, uh, I've never done a full-on Dark Sun campaign. Mm-hmm. There was always something else to play. <laughs> right, right, right. So any of those games that you played in, were they all sort of like within the standard, you know, the, the you know, what you would expect from reading any of the books or did any of them sort of stray into strange places that uh, that the books never covered uh you know when you're playing with other designers there's always going to be a little bit of uh one-upmanship going on <laughs> and and trying to surprise us uh-huh. rich was very good at that uh-huh. but a lot of what we played would later get used in a product that came out later mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because the ideas were picked up and and we saw ways to utilize them. Is there anything that you can uh, remember, the, something that was sort of really strange that ended up in a book? Not off the top of my head. I know that there were some uh, 
we had some interesting stuff with Thrycreen. One of the other players was playing a Thrycreen, and I think that helped develop some of the material that went into the Thrycreen book later. But I can't, I can't remember specifics. Sure, <laughs> sure. So talking about kind of designing, uh, you share design credits on the revised box set with Tim Brown and Troy Denning. Did they have any involvement in the revision? No, no. They had both moved on at that point and were doing other things. They got credit because I was still using their material sure, sure. as the basis. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw a couple of uh, the, the questions that were coming up on your forum and some of the people either loving or hating that revision. <laughs> yeah. The reason we did the revision is because the novel line actually changed the world. Yeah, yeah. And it surprised the designers because while Tim and Troy worked together on the original box, Troy went off to work on the novels, Tim stayed on the game side, and Troy left the building. So at that point, the novels were doing their own thing, and the game department wasn't really getting that information until the books came out. So we were being surprised as well as the public. <laughs> so we, oh, didn't know oh, that, wow. we didn't know they were changing or that Troy was going to change the world as much as he did. So we could have either ignored it or we could react to it. And we decided to react to it. Mm. So who made that decision? That, that's actually really interesting because I know a lot of people make that comment it's, and saying, oh, wow, you know, you know, five books later, you change the setting and that's a short period of time to, to adapt to it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that occurred. I know that uh, back in those days, the book department and the game department did not communicate as well as they did later in in, in the history of the, of the company and, and when we merged all together at Wizards. Uh, so um, they kind of went off and did their thing and we were doing our thing and we tried to keep in touch, but it was kind of just um, the way it developed. Hmm, interesting. So, you know, you've written a ton of Dark Sun stuff. Do you recall any kind of interesting anecdotes about your time writing any of those things or just anything about Dark Sun in general that maybe people would find interesting? I really liked working on the uh, adventure format, the early adventure format with the flipbooks. I uh-huh. thought that was, that was very um, a very innovative approach. And while we didn't do flipbooks, when I did the fourth edition adventures, I went with a similar idea that yeah, you could just leave the spread open and you'd have everything you need for your encounter, mm-hmm. which was kind of the idea behind the flip book. You would have everything you needed on the one page. Right. Yeah, you wrote the Delve book, right? The Dungeon Delve book for fourth edition? Yeah, I wrote part of it. It was a bunch of authors, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that had that same you know two two-page spread that, that worked pretty well. Going back, I just remembered a question I had uh, talking about the revised box set. Mm-hmm. One of the things that kind of surprised me in that was the different looks of a lot of the creatures. The Machilots kind of look like a Triceratops sort of. And so like all of the creatures had, not all of them, but a few of the kind of domestic creatures looked a little bit different. Do you recall anything about the decisions that went into that? Well, we couldn't get Brom back. I think he had moved along at that point. Mm-hmm. We had a new art director, uh, Steve Daniele, uh, was the art director for the box set. Mm-hmm. And he was just trying... Uh, a little bit of new stuff, a little bit of artistic license. And it was also the artists that he was able to get and how they interpreted the material. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, in those earlier days at TSR, the creators didn't have as much control over the entire product as we would do later. Different departments were kind of siloed and isolated. Uh-huh. So art did its thing, design did its thing, novels did their thing. Uh, and hopefully it all came together. Uh-huh. And sometimes it worked out that way. And sometimes there were some differences, but uh, that's just the way it was set up. 
It's the way it worked. Like I said, as I began to run the business at Wizards, I tried to bring all of that, even if it wasn't all under one umbrella, uh, we opened communications a little further so that things worked a little more together. Mm-hmm. That's pretty That's pretty cool. Actually, one of the things that I know a lot of the fans are, are very interested in is we know that Mike Merles is, is a fan of Dark Sun. He's a fan of Psionics. And there's been a lot of hints and ideas about putting the setting out, and especially on the DMs Guild. Not saying anything specific, but have you ever thought of rejoining Dark Sun in, in any particular way? I mean, you are one of the developers. You you are one of the name the big names behind Dark Sun. And let's say it does come out for, let's say, DMs Guild. Is that something that might interest you, like to kind of jump back in and write something? Uh, I'm always interested in, in going back to things that I've done, uh, especially things that I like to do. It would all depend on timing and whether they were interested in, in what my work load at, at my, my day job would be at the time. But I would never say no. <laughs> it's actually very comforting to hear. I mean, obviously, I, I've played D&D for, well, I've been playing D&D for like 30 years, uh, which I know some people out there are like, oh, I've been playing longer. But I've seen your name in who knows how many supplements and games and creator and designer. So I mean, I would love to see that name up in bright lights on uh, doing something for Dark Sun again. I mean, that's that's a, my personal opinion, but I, I think a lot of people share that as well. Thank you. So you did a lot of stuff up to the revised box set, um, and then you did the, uh, you know, basically wrapping up the world after the books came out beyond the prison pentad. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. And then Dark Sun went you know, went dark for a while after that, um, you know, in third edition. It went on hiatus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it went on hiatus. And that's sort of when, you know, I've, I was a huge fan from from day one, really, of Dark Sun. I lived in Arizona, and so the deserts are something that I knew, you know, talking about kind of regular fantasy worlds are worlds that I didn't really understand, these worlds with forests. Like, I didn't really know what forests were very well, but deserts I knew. And so I immediately loved Dark Sun and, you know, just kind of ran it on and on from then. And, uh, you know, I ran the Athos.org website. Well, back then it was just the burnt world of Athos and we had a few different websites, but it sort of stayed and, and, uh, Jim Butler and the, in the community chose it to sort of be the official website of the world. And we, you know, we put out some third edition stuff. We, I think we put out like 18 different products, but then like I sort of stepped away because I didn't want to convert stuff to third edition, you know, talking about third edition that got, that got a little, a little tiresome for me. And so I stepped away and did other things for a few years, but then what really brought me back to playing D and D was the fact that dark sun came out for fourth edition. And during that time, you were the lead R and D developer. Is that right? I was the director of R and D, the yes. director of R and D. Okay. So, so what, what did that look like for Dark Sun? Like, you know, was it sort of your idea to bring it back or like what, you know, tell us a little bit about that time. Uh, yeah, I have been looking for ways to bring back the, the settings that I personally enjoyed and thought were, were worth resurrecting. And we talked about it even for third edition, but we really couldn't find a way or uh, it didn't make sense for third edition to, to delve into the, the other settings, at least uh, officially, like we did give, like you said, you, you had permission to do some stuff mm-hmm. as, a, as a fan site. But we were really committed to the idea of Greyhawk and the Forgotten Realms at that time mm-hmm. for, for third edition. That was the company stance. Uh, but when we did fourth edition, we started to come up with the idea of these limited product arcs, you know, the one book and the one adventure. And that was working pretty well. And I knew at that point that I wanted to bring back both Eberron and Dark Sun. 
and I gave Eberron to my other co-designer on that, James Wyatt, and and he ran with that and uh, with Keith Baker. And then for Dark Sun, I gave it to Rich, who had been, other than me, the other big Dark Sun person, because my time was spent with the management of the company at the time, mm-hmm. or the department. But uh, I certainly worked with them to develop the outlines and the product plan, and then off they went, and uh, pretty pleased with what uh, with the way they came out. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, Dark Sun did some great things for fourth edition. The themes, the uh, I forget what it's called, but when uh, basically they didn't have to have the magic items; they just had the uh, the inherent bonuses. Uh, mm-hmm. So they did a lot of really cool things for for fourth edition. I love some of the changes. Uh, you know, some of the changes uh, I didn't love so much. I wasn't really a fan of the Goliaths as half giants, but large creatures are always always troublesome sure. for player characters. I love the adding of the tieflings and the way you added the Eladrin too. So there were a lot of really great things that 4th edition did for Darkson. Like I said, it, it really brought me back to, to gaming and brought me back to Darkson. So so I'm, I can't say thank you enough for that. One of the things with 4th edition was Marauders the Dune Sea. It was an adventure that came out. And to me, I'm obviously going to take any any Dark Sun adventure, but this one kind of felt a little, uh, almost a little forced. It had, uh, you know, a few elements that seemed to kind of go against the classic genre, such as seemed to have more water in it, and it was more like a dungeon crawl. Do you have any, uh, you know, any recollections of, of that and like what went into uh, into that product? Actually, no, because after I helped them with the outline for the core book, we said they wanted an adventure. But Rich and Bruce Cordell took off with that, and I was not involved with that at all. Yeah, I recommend you, uh, you know, send a note to Bruce and ask him whatever. <laughs> <you'd like. laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you have any other uh, direct questions, Wayne? I'm actually having a lot of fun just just sitting here and listening. Just, I was pretty young when Dark Sun first came out. I, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast. So my recollection of Dark Sun, and I, I think anybody's recollection of the past. 30 something years is <laughs> kind of, you know, there's a certain level of rose colored glasses and also a certain level of, I don't remember stuff from 30 years ago very well. Yeah. Dark Sun has always been my favorite setting from like a couple of simple things like uh, weapon materials to the the brutality and the, the survival thing. You know, I was a kid when we first started running it, so you don't have that much brutality, but that has always played. And, and I've always come back to Dark Sun. You know, I'm, I'm a big... I'm a big lover of, of, of a few different settings. People probably know that. And I'm always trying to find the opportunity. So it's always nice to hear from the people and, and listen to you guys talk about what was it that was going through your head? I guess my only real question was what was going through your head when you, you were designing Dark Sun and you had this opportunity to basically shape, a, a, let's say, practically a generation of, of gamers and, and this setting that's, that's still around, that still has plenty of fans? Yeah, you know... Uh... I've I've done that a lot, although I never realized it at the time I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, my Star Wars material has influenced generations, but all I was trying to do at the time was do good product. My Dark Sun stuff, as you said, again, that's not what you're thinking about at the time that you're working on it. You're not thinking of legacy. You're not thinking of how is this going to affect the, the future. Uh, you're just trying to hit your deadline and do it as, as good as you can. Looking back, it's, a, it's, it's amazing to me the longevity that these products have had. And I guess that means we did the job right. But when I was working on it, the things that, that really spoke to me was filling in the blanks. You know, that's kind of what I've done in all the worlds I've worked in is, is how do you fill in the blanks? 
with slave tribes right from the beginning, you know, they wanted this concept of groups of slaves that have escaped and are, are living in the wild. And I had to turn that into a 128 page book, right? So <laughs> there's a lot of filling in the blanks that happens for that kind of stuff. But, you know, later on when we did the, uh, the city by the silt sea, I uh, worked with Shane Hensley on that. And that was, um, we added a new piece to the world there yeah. mm-hmm. and, and we developed the idea of the, the dragon King Dregoth, the undead dragon King, which I think first appeared in that yeah. product or maybe, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so th- that's the kind of stuff that really uh, got my creative juices flowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those first products, slave tribes and elves of Athos, uh, are some of my favorite products of all time. And the reason being that there's so much detail in them. And that's one of the things I loved about all of the older Dark Sun products is just how much detail, you know, of each subject comes out. Like you said, you got to fill up a 96 or 120 page book and you don't get that anymore. You know, the books are kind of, they they sort of pack more information, like, uh, but it's it's not as detailed necessarily. I don't think we'll ever go back to those sort of books, at least from Wizards itself. You know, the the DMs Guild is where you're, you're really going to get that kind of fans writing that sort of content. But what do you think of that sort of move, you know, the move from really dense things about one topic to kind of the way it is now? There are advantages to both. I, I miss the, the days of the, you know, with, where the product could really take its time and cover a subject because it was only trying to cover the one subject and not trying to be everything to everybody. I mean, and later on too, you got books that were suddenly 400 pages long <laughs> this last year with the 30th anniversary of, uh, of the star Wars books, for example, it's amazing what we got into 144 page to 144 page books. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just unheard of today. Your, your rule book is, you know, two, three, 400 pages long. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, we're going to get into the fan questions here in a bit, but I want to ask you if Dark Sun came out for fifth edition, do you have any, any ideas on maybe how Psionics would work in fifth edition or, or defiling? Oh, wow. I've not given that a lot of thought. Um, Psionics has always been, you either love it or hate it. Some people think it works really great with the D and D rules. Other people think that it's, Totally foreign, and they should have never done them. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope that if they go that route and do psionics, they they do find a way to incorporate it a little more smoothly, mm-hmm. so it doesn't look like a like a foreign rule set. Yeah, it's tacked on. Yeah. yeah, but how you accomplish that? Uh, uh, a, I haven't really thought about it too deep, and I don't want to give away anything that they might decide to use without paying me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right. But as for the uh, the second part of that... Defiling. Oh, defiling. Defiling has always been very interesting. And uh, you have to make sure that the preserver and the defiler look like they're, they're two, ends, uh, two sides of the same coin. So if they can pull that off, that would at least fit the setting really well. And, and, and you know, it, it's possible. And I think 5th edition, the rules are, are, very, are more robust than they appear. Uh, so I don't think they'll have any trouble. Cool. So let's go ahead and uh, start hitting the fan questions. Uh, Wayne, you want to start? All right. So Robert put out a couple of things online. 
And we had a, a lot of people actually ask a bunch of questions. And uh, we're going to try to go through them and, and, and try to ask and, and kind of hit Bill with some of these questions. If we don't hit your question or your question was a little long, we apologize. I we hope you're still listening. Uh, we're gonna, and we might have to condense or we might kind of put some of the, them together. So we had one question uh, from, uh, I believe, Stuart Lynch. And he asks if he, Bill, had complete creative control and Dark Sun had not been canceled, uh, where would you have taken the storyline in Athis post Dragoth Ascending and Secrets of the Deadland? Well, certainly I would have finished Dragoth Ascending and Secrets of the Deadland, which, you know, I think we did a version of one of those, but I think we threw it up online at some point. Yeah, you, you uh, gave it to us and uh, we put it out uh, on uh, on Athis.org. And I think Secrets of the Deadlands is still sort of uh, wallowing in development. <laughs> yeah. I would have went along those lines. I really wanted to uh, build the threat of Dregoth, and we would have if we had continued the line in the edition. But both of those things kind of collapsed shortly after we did that box set mm-hmm. with uh, with the TSR Troubles. Mm-hmm. That was as far as I had gotten in thinking at that point, because that would have taken us through the next year. And then once once we stopped... I stopped thinking about those sure. things. So, do you have any any thoughts on you know when when the revised box set come out and and Thrycrene of Athis, you know that it opened up so much more land, but it was all like a lot of it was the Thrycrene empires. What did you think of that? And was that a, a major threat? Would that have kind of taken up some 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 time, some some more supplements or or what? Yes, we wanted to show the. Uh, I think the Thrycrene was a great idea that we didn't get a chance to really dig into, but the idea of the, almost like the locusts ascending upon the, the field, I think that could have been an, an interesting uh, worldwide danger that we didn't quite get to. Cool. So Elves of Athos is is one of my, you know, I've always been a fan of Elves and it's definitely one of my favorite books. Uh, the, the art by Dieter Lisi is amazing in that book. And all of your details are awesome, you know, just so evocative uh, of the elves, really bring them to life and kind of change them from your standard fantasy elves. And Jason Keyes asked, uh, what was your influence for Elves of Athos? He says there's a lot of really cool ideas in that book, but that seem, they, they seem to come from nowhere. He wants to know the creative process on that one. What did you read, if you can remember, at that time of writing or, you know, what were your influences about it? As far as I can recall, as you said, my goal was to make them different. These weren't Tolkien elves. These weren't D&D elves. These were Dark Sun elves. And I just looked for ways to turn the dial 45 degrees or 90 degrees in some cases Mm -hmm. to make the elves different. I don't remember, you know, this, I can't point to a book or anything. I didn't steal it from anywhere. (laughs) My process is I, I, I outline my project and then I just start writing and uh, you pound it out until it makes me go. I like that. And then I'm, you know, then I know it's ready for everybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there's no, there's no secret that, you know, I don't have a box somewhere with, uh, <laughs> with ideas in it. You know, they, they come, they come out as I'm writing. Sure, sure. The next question is really about Els of Athos, but it was about Andropinus who ended up being the Sorcerer King that tried to wipe out the elves. But I was just thinking, you know, I was going to ask this question, but you probably didn't know that at the time, right? Because the whole thing about the cleansing wars wasn't even out in the books at the time that Elves of Athos was written in 1993. 
That's correct. Uh, like I said, we were surprised by what was in the novels, just like the fans mm -hmm. were. So if, if I guessed that anything was coming, that was a lucky guess. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also possible that Troy saw something I wrote and utilized mm -hmm. it, but I, I, you'd have to ask him. I'm not, I'm not sure on that end. But we're both working from the same source material. So, you know, sure. I took the page and a half in the core book that was about mm -hmm. elves and expanded on it. And so did he. So it's not surprising that we got to similar locations. Interesting. So we've covered kind of a couple of these. Broy Addled Matthew asks, have you ever run a D6 Dark Sun? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've done a lot of stuff with D6. Um, I played Ghostbusters. I played Star Wars. I ran a D6 Star Wars campaign for my colleagues at TSR that lasted for five years. I've been playing with some D6 mechanics more recently for uh, other setting, but no, I've never run Dark Sun with D6. Mm -hmm. uh, it worked. It worked just fine with D and D, so uh, I didn't see any reason to change that. Sure, sure. Dark Sun a Day, there's a Twitter account. It's at Guffe, asks, uh, Elves of Athos has rudiments of Athasian elven language. Did you develop more of, of the language than was printed, or did you only create what you needed for the book? I only created what I needed for the book. It's like making a movie. You only make as much of the set as you're going to okay. film. I know that there are some designers or writers who work where they'll do, you know, reams and reams of material so that they can get 100 pages for a book. Uh, I don't work that way. I work to the page count and I write what I need. And if I throw it out, it's because it didn't fit, not because I'm saving it or I didn't want to use it or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So no, there's nothing more than what was in that. What I wrote is what you guys saw. <laughs> Alpha Stream, Teos Abadia, he is a huge Dark Sun fan. Uh, I've known Teos since the early 90s. We met online in the Dark Sun mailing list. Uh, uh, so he asks, which Dark Sun products you worked on, uh, or which of the Dark Sun products that you worked on were your favorites and why? Well, like I said, Slave Tribes, because it was my first one and my introduction to the world. And it's where I got my sense of how to write for Dark mm -hmm. Sun. So that I got fond memories of that. And Brom did a kick-ass cover for it. So, you know, that was great. Yeah. And probably my other second favorite Although it's like trying to pick your favorite child, I was really happy with the way uh, "City by the Silt Sea" came out. You know, that was uh, initially a, a Shane Hensley design, and I was the developer and editor. But I did enough work on it to uh, uh, I added material, so uh, I took a little bit of a, a co-design credit, uh, and I really liked the way that box set. Came yeah, out. yeah, definitely, definitely uh, one of my favorites. Alpha Stream again asks, uh, basically, if you could go back in time and write one more supplement, what would it be about? Uh, if I could go back, I would love to have finished Drag Out the Sending the way I originally envisioned it. And I would have written it. I think uh, somebody else did the, the, the final one that you guys put up later. That was, that was somebody uh -huh. else. But I would have done it, and it would have been even better. <laughs> <laughs> Alpha Stream also asks, do you think the current 5e approach of a single adventure book for a storyline is good for Dark Sun? if there were to be a Dark Sun season for, for Adventures League for D&D? Or do the many differences of the other worlds means Dark Sun requires a different approach? No, I mean, they've developed a formula for their, for their line that I think they can, uh, they can utilize, and I think it'll work out fine. 
I think that, uh, I mean, you always want more if you can get right. it, but, uh, uh, I think if you can get the one, the one, one or two books and be happy, uh, that's a start. So let's see what they do. Definitely. Grunkle Stan, <laughs> he's at worst ninja ever on Twitter <laughs> asks, uh, what other playable races would you have liked to develop for the setting? Well, there's, there's plenty already. You know, the one thing that we tried to do with things like when we developed Eberron and uh, the fourth edition products was that everything that was around was playable. So I guess if it fits in the world, why not let you play it? Sure. So I think that leads into a, a, another debate that's kind of gone on for a while. People notice, you know, in fourth edition, there was a really cool picture of this knoll gladiator. And people realized that there were no gnolls previously in Dark Sun. There was no champion dedicated to wiping out the gnolls, but they weren't in any of the books. But as you guys, you know, obviously decided in fourth edition, they, they fit pretty well. Did you have any mm-hmm. input on that or uh, you got any comments on that? Uh, I think we talked about that and decided, you know, like I said, our philosophy at the time was always use whatever we can. Don't, don't limit anything. So, uh, you know, I think they worked fine and, and you could always make another Sorcerer King. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Asher Winnie at Walrus Above asks, uh, were there any ideas that got scrapped because they were too crazy for the setting? Uh, I don't know about when Troy and Tim were working on the original box. Mm-hmm. Not that I can remember. I mean, like I said, we tended to work to outlines and we knew we had to fill books. So we didn't really try to go out of our way to do anything that we couldn't actually utilize. Cause that would just be a waste of time and effort. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, in the long run, the battle system fell away. Yeah. And that was probably because I didn't really, you know, that wasn't something that appealed to me mm-hmm. as a designer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I probably stopped incorporating it. And then so did everybody else. <laughs> hmm. But it, but it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a conscious decision. It just, it just kind of happened. Interesting. Yeah, that, yeah. As I look here through Slave Tribes, I don't see any battle system stats. Right, and that's the first product I worked right. on. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's interesting to hear people uh, like Steve Winter and and Tim talk about you know including kind of the battle system stuff. And they were big fans of that, so I could see that. Uh-huh. Huh, interesting. And not that I don't like it; it just isn't my style of play. So sure. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> yeah. You have any uh, any other questions for for Bill Wayne? No, I'm. I'm kind of having fun kind of sitting here and listening to this because it's there's a lot of interesting stuff. Like a lot of the uh, listeners and whatnot asked a lot of really cool questions. I'm definitely interested in hearing about what Bill's doing now and, uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, what life after TSR and, and Wizards and Dark Sun has been like for you. Uh, well, uh, after, uh, after I left Wizards, um, I... Uh, Got back in touch with some other ex-TSR people, um, Zeb Cook, Lauren Schick, Ed Stark. They had all wound up at uh, Zenimax Online Studios, and I went out there to meet with them and uh, 
decided to take the plunge and start working on computer games. And since 2012, I've been a senior writer for The Elder Scrolls Online. I write the dialogue. Well, there's a team of four writers, uh, but I'm one of the four writers. We write all the dialogue. It's a fully voiced game. So uh, we're talking, you know, 30 hours of VO per release. So that's that's a, a good chunk of uh, material. And our approach to the Elder Scrolls world is very story-oriented. So um, we're telling much more detailed stories than you'll see in something like WoW or uh, your typical MMO. Uh, it's much closer to the single-player game than it is to um, a traditional MMO. Hmm. That's cool. Are you working on any uh, any other RPG content? I know we said that you did some work for Cobalt Press. Or are you working on any anything with any other uh, developer or doing anything on your own? Well, always doing something on my own just for fun, keep my hand in it. I've written a couple of uh, short pieces for uh, the new Torg game, uh, again, just to keep my hand in and because they ask nicely. <laughs> you know, little things, nothing major. Just don't have the bandwidth, really. With the, with the day job. Sure. But last year too was a lot of podcasts and conventions and things like that related to the Star Wars anniversary. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly asked questions about Star Wars, so it's nice for you guys <laughs> to ask me about Dark Sun, <laughs> yeah, which okay. uh, I haven't talked about in a long time. <laughs> awesome. Actually, I, I just realized I do have a question. I know this is the Dark Sun podcast, but I also do a different podcast about Eberron. Oh. So Bill, if someone sat down with you and said, uh, you know, we're going to run a campaign for you and you have to choose between oh, Dark Sun God. or Eberron, which one would you choose? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to ask. Uh, at this point, I would probably go with Eberron. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no knock to Dark Sun, but I was more involved with the creation mm. of Eberron. Whereas Dark Sun, I picked up the ball and carried it after mm-hmm. after Tim and Troy put it together. But for Eberron, I picked the one-page piece that Keith wrote. I helped him develop it. I wrote a good chunk of that original book with him and James Wyatt. And I just have uh, – it's the newer, shinier object, even though that's <laughs> now what uh, – 14 years old. So, you know, yeah. none of those things are new. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. No worries. Uh, I will let Keith know. Um, <laughs> just, uh, I, I figured I'd ask. It was a, just one of those fun questions. I knew that I, I knew we, we'd have to have some contention between, <laughs> between the two, uh, the two. Now, now that said, if you, if somebody sat down and said, let's play dark sun, I'm there. But, well, all right. but if I, will, I had to choose, I will officially invite you to my dark sun game. I I run games online. I would love to have you as a as a guest player. You don't have to answer right now, but uh, just to, just to throw it out there. Yeah, we could talk about that. That would be awesome. So, is there anything you know? You you have the mic, and and every Dark Sun fan that listens to this show, is there anything you want to tell Dark Sun fans? Anything uh, anything interesting stories? Just anything you want to put out there before we wrap it up? Uh, I just say you know, uh, uh, thanks for all the support over the years. Dark Sun talked to me when it originally came out. I'm glad it, it, it still talks to, to players everywhere. It's a great world full of, you know, like I said earlier, you know, when you can walk and step on a leaf and the leaf will kill you. It's just 
you know, it's like going to Australia. Um, <laughs> Definitely. I would just say that um, the, the big trick to either playing or running Dark Sun is to make sure you get that sense of it's dangerous. We don't have the equipment we really need to survive, but we're going to find a way to survive anyway. And, uh, and that's just, uh, you know, it's a great place to play those kind of games. Definitely. Definitely. That kind of brings up, you know, I've always felt as I run dark sun, you know, there's, there's sort of like different dark sun campaigns, right? You know, when you're low level, having water and everything is super important, uh, because you will die. But when you're high level and some of that stuff kind of ceases to be as much of a threat, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's always going to be the case uh, because of the way the D&D leveling system works. But you just have to continue to – that's where the, the DM has to continue to throw appropriate threats at the players. So, yes, now, they've, now they can create their own water and they can make magic weapons out of thin air. But that's when the Dragon Kings start coming after them or uh, – as we said, the swarm of hungry Thrykreen or, or sure. pick your threat of the day, but, uh, yeah. uh, but always make it appropriate to your, to your players and to their level. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Bill. Uh, you're our first guest and, uh, it's been really great having you. It was great to meet you. Great to game with you. Absolutely. Um, where can we find you on social media or can we find you on social media? I have a website, uh, BillSlavasek.com, which basically is a list of all of my credits and what I'm doing now. That's probably the best place to look for me. And, you know, if you're interested, please check out Elder Scrolls Online. We just released the new Somerset chapter. You can play that on PC or console. And it's it's not Dark Sun, but it's it's... It's pretty cool. So check it out. Definitely. Thank you. Uh, so I am Robert Aducci. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Radu76. You can find me on the Dark Sun Facebook group, the Dark Sun Google Plus group at athis.org. Uh, I'm Radu at athis.org if you need to email me. And uh, I've got a Patreon where I run some Adventures League stuff as well as some Dark Sun games online. You can uh, check it out at patreon.com slash Robert Aducci. Wayne, where can we find you? Mostly you can try to track me down on Twitter or maybe on Facebook. The links are in the show notes. But if you guys like this episode, we have a couple other guests that are coming up. We were very, very privileged. Thank you so much, Bill, uh, sure. for coming on the show. I know that you don't really uh, know either of us that well, but we we loved having you on the show, loved picking your brain. We'd love to have you come back, um, especially if uh, you know we hear an announcement in a couple of months saying you know Dark Sun's up, and uh, we'd love to hear hear your thoughts about that. But for all the listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. We, uh, we appreciate you guys listening to us, and uh, we look forward to talking with you soon. So thanks so much. Again, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, no worries. Thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Excellent. Everyone, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.